Tonight, we're talking about Stairway to Heaven. I don't know, did anybody think we were doing Led Zeppelin? Anybody old enough to remember that? You know, I, I, someone asked me not too long ago, they said, is Jacob's Ladder the same thing as Stairway to Heaven? And I, I said, actually, it is. It just depends on what version of the Bible you're looking at. Because, of course, um, there were stairs, I'm sure, in Jacob's time. But the terminology would have come across as ladder. And so the person was saying, well, was it a ladder or a stairway? And I said, I, I, don't, I don't know. In the Hebrew, it's, it could be translated both. Because all it meant was a way to get up to something. So I'm not sure. I don't know. But it is the same thing. Depending on you know, what version of the Bible you're using, it's the exact same thing. Tonight, I wanted to start off, though, by talking about, about this. I know that we have all... Everybody in here, I'm sure, at one time or another, you have connected with God in a way that's different than other times. You know, we have different experiences with God in different places almost. And it's almost like your experience with God can be associated with a place. And not always with a physical place. It could be even with a song. And maybe you, like me, there are certain songs that even now, it's not very often, but I might hear a song and it rockets me back to a time and place and an experience with God. Even as I'm saying this to you, I'm thinking about a camp when I was in high school, and I can see our, our youth pastor up there with a guitar. Back then, you didn't have the whole band experience. It would just be one person on a guitar, and it was that, that remember, hallelujah? Remember that song? Hallelujah. And, and that would take us into the presence of God in a way that was very meaningful at that point in my life. Does that make sense? In a sense, it was a stairway to heaven, or Jacob's Ladder. Stairway to Heaven may sound too secular to you. I don't know. I thought about that. I thought, I'm not trying to offend anybody. It's, it, that is what it is. But it is that for us a lot of times, and it, and it rockets me back to that point in my life. And maybe there's been places for you like that, and sometimes I've connected with God in maybe more obvious places, like, like maybe a church environment or an altar. And I remember a really cool sermon that Joe, Joe sitting back there did where he brought a piece of carpet from the revival in Florida where he felt called to the ministry. That place. And he has that, that chunk. And for me, I, I can remember times at different altars. I remember a, you know, a camp. I mean, and there's things like that. I can, I can, when I'm thinking of this, it's almost as if my mind takes a mental tour of some places where I met with God differently. Does that make sense? I mean, you can pray to God every day and have moments and experiences, and there's some that are highlighted in our memory, in our heart. And I remember specifically in two cases in hospital chapels. Now, being a minister, I'm probably in hospitals more than you, and I've spent time in hospitals on the other side, but there's times where I would walk by, and, and maybe because of the situation or the person I was praying for, uh, you, you, I'm walking by, and most of the time I walk right by the chapels, and I don't even notice them, and a lot of hospitals are pretty inconspicuous. Some they're more, more conspicuous if it's a Catholic hospital, for instance. But there's been times where I popped into one of those and really had a moment and experienced a time with the Lord that was, I, I remember even thinking, I wonder how often this happens in a hospital chapel. Like what I'm experiencing right now, especially if it's a formal chapel, I don't know that it's, they're having the same thing I've happened. But I've experienced those things. And some of those places are probably more obvious, even, um, and, and I, this is just me, but maybe, I don't know, but mountains, does anybody do nature like that? 
And you get to certain places and it's just you, you experience God in a certain way. I have a kayak and there's been lots of times, especially in California, where I would be, I would maybe go someplace in the ocean, you know, remote where nobody can get to unless you're in a boat or a kayak or something. And you can just be alone and be with the Lord. Um, another place, I just threw a couple pictures that might, uh, just this is Yosemite, Upper Yosemite Falls. And you can see back there, Half Dome's kind of gold lit up there. And there have been times where I've been at this park and felt like I was communicating with God in a way that I couldn't anywhere else. I don't know, it's just, just weird that way, I guess. This is the, they call it the valley view. You come through a tunnel and this is what you see. And um, anyway, that picture of Half Dome, I've spent a lot of time up on there a few different times and just felt just an amazing uh, experience. Sometimes where I've experienced God haven't been quite as obvious and I wanted to show you one of them, and I wanted to just tell you about it because it launches into what we're going to talk about tonight more. And I, I've told part of this story before, but I don't know if I really emphasize this part. But there was a time in my life I, I had gone to school to be a missionary doctor. I'd gone to pre-med, and after three years of microbiology, I really felt like I was missing something. I felt spiritually dry. And looking back, I can see some huge mistakes I met going, made going to a secular university. I was doing Bible studies in my room, did a Bible study for Campus Crusade, did one, a real fun one I did. There was, some, there was a Buddhist on my floor and a Hindu, and then there was some backslidden, you know, Lutheran and Baptist and whatever. And we would do a Bible study where we would just kind of debate the faith and our different religions, and that was so fun. But I was, never, I was not connected to a body of Christ. Outside of Youth for Christ, I'd go to the student thing, but what I would do each Sunday, at first I thought I was doing a great thing and I would just visit different churches, but I never met anybody, really. They didn't know my name. Nobody got to know me. And I became very spiritually just dry. And um, when I transferred to, to Bible college, I went to Bible college and I had been an RA in the secular university and it was such a, a great experience to work with students and to counsel them and to help them in crisis and whatever. So I did that in Bible college and it was such a great experience there that my senior year was coming up and I thought, I want to do that again. I can't imagine any other way to minister more effectively. And I'd done tutoring in Compton, different, different ministries, but I'm talking about what I was going to commit myself to. So I went to the dean of men. Let me show you a See, this is an aerial view of the campus. Isn't that horrible? It doesn't mean anything to you, does it? When I pulled this up on the computer, I was there again. So I had a meeting right here. That's the, the men's dorm with the dean of men who would make the decision whether or not I could even apply to be a, an RA again. And I told him what I was wanting to do. And he said, well, you could do that, but why don't you run for ASB president? And I laughed, and I said, that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about more ministry, not like ASB stuff, you know, student body, whatever. And he goes, yeah, but that could be a ministry. Then I said, but I'm not like the guy who was ASB president right then. He was a double major, played varsity basketball th uh, for all four years. He's now, by the way, a school chancellor. I mean, that's, like, that's not me. And he goes, well, why does it have to be like you? Or why do you have to do it like him? Maybe God would use you in a way he created you to do something for him. I rocked back in my seat. I was shell-shocked. God was speaking to me in a way that never... I'm looking at... I can see the guy's office right now. Does that, do you know what I'm talking about? God was speaking to me in a way that, what, that was different. And I remember walking out of his office and thinking, 
yeah, but I've only been at this school for a year uh, and a half. Can't see anybody, but I don't even, I mean, I knew people, but anyway, I, was, I had a class right over here in the commons area, those classrooms over there. So as I was walking across the campus, it's one of the few times in my life that I met God in the middle of, I mean, there was stuff happening, but right there, Right, see how it's dirt right there? <laughs> right there. God said, this is what I want you to do. Don't worry about it. It's going to happen. Right there. There's been, only been a few other times in my life where I felt like I knew exactly what was going to happen before it happened. I mean, there's other times where I knew I was doing what I was supposed to do, but I didn't know what the outcome would be. That time, I mean, it sounds weird, but I knew. I knew. He met me right there. Another time that wasn't so obvious, maybe, but, but it was something that happened to me, and I don't know if I've even talked to Nicole about this before, but we had, we had our baby Grace, and then I had my accident, lost my leg, and then um, we moved to Minnesota. I'd just gotten a leg. And then we got there, we were in this, this uh, townhouse, and we were all the boxes were there. We hadn't really even unpacked. And this poor little baby, she was only, she wasn't even a year old, nine months or whatever. And she got that hand, foot, and mouth disease. And sadly, Nicole got it too. But it, it was so bad for this little tiny baby. She would just walk around and she couldn't swallow in her mouth. You could just touch her lip and just, you'll slide report. She was in such pain and she couldn't sleep. And, and um, it was horrible. And I remember one night, I, um, Nicole was... I mean, she was sick too, and, and um, I couldn't really carry her very well, but I did in the middle of the night, and I was holding her with crutches, you know, walking around, and leaning on a box and holding her and just had a time with God that I, I can see it. It's dark. I can, you know what I mean? I can smell the box. It wasn't an altar. It wasn't a spiritual place. It wasn't a church. It wasn't a mountaintop. It's where God was, and I met him there. So let's take, let's take a look. I mean, you guys have had that experience, I'm sure, too. Let me ask you first. Let's go back. Where have you met him like that? Just anywhere. It could be anywhere. It could be one of those special places or not. Anybody else? Just tell me. Where have you met him? Where? Okay. Oh, okay. That, that makes it way better. Yeah. Okay, Amanda Hansel, she just said she got saved in a restroom sitting on the toilet. Not, but on, on, I mean, the lid was down. She was just in there. Wow, that is, that's the best story ever. It, okay, nine. Okay, awesome. Anybody else? Sure. Where was that? A little Baptist church? Okay. Al Hancock said, a little Baptist church. Yes. About 600 feet down the mine shaft. Frank Hinkle, 600 feet down a mine shaft. I mean, Hosel. I'm sorry. Frank, Frank was up above, okay, in an airplane. Did you, were you going to say something? I was, I was walking to my truck at work. Pat Jobs was walking to his truck at work, and you met God. Anybody else? Praying in bed. Shirley? Well, I met him because a friend of mine, his 
Wow. Shirley said, in Jerusalem in 2009. Wow. Anybody else? It's kind of like an auction. If your hand moves, I think you're going to say something. Yes. <laughs> oceans of fun lounging in a chair. Oh, that's great. That might beat the toilet for me. I don't know. <laughs> Cody, say it again. In a tree stand. You were in the other one. Okay. Were you having a moment with God too or just watching? Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, Dave. Yeah. The day you cut the grade for this floor. Wow. Okay. Well, you're in good company. Let's go through the arrows again. Um, I want to tell you a story real quick about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know these stories, so I'm gonna, I just want to set it up in case you're not familiar with the whole thing. <clears throat> it starts like this. God calls actually Abraham's father to the promised land, but he doesn't get there. It's kind of an interesting story. We'll talk about that another time. But then he calls Abraham. And what he calls him to do is leave his people. And I know this is really difficult for us a lot of times to put ourselves and to really envision the Bible as it was written in the time, the time of Abraham. We're talking thousands of years before Christ. There were no countries per se. There were no um, major metropolitan areas. It was basically family, huge family groups. Now, there were big cities. That would have happened but what, we, what God was asking Abraham to do was to leave his people. He wasn't leaving the United States. He was leaving his people. And what that meant was identity. It meant protection. It meant everything he knew and to go someplace he didn't know. That's why the faith of Abraham is so respectable in Scripture and mentioned so much like in Hebrews 11. Because he left everything he knew to go to this place which he didn't know and God promised him something and he believed it. So he followed God and he did that. He left them and he followed. He believed and he left his people and he left it behind. Then he tells him he's going to make him a great nation and you know this part of the story where he can't quite wait and then Ishmael's born and then Isaac, the son of promise, is born and then Isaac... Uh, ends up having two children, Jacob and Esau. And you know the whole story about the struggle between them. And then Esau sells his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of porridge of some kind. And then Jacob, with his mother's help, tricks Isaac into blessing him instead of his brother Esau as the firstborn. Then we, we're about ready to jump into the story. In the end of chapter 27 of, of Genesis, it says that Esau is wanting to kill his brother uh, Jacob, and because of that, Jacob's going to leave. And then, as part of that, also as part of the the ruse and whatever, his mother says, "I do not want my son marrying a Canaanite woman, one of these local women, as Esau had done. Instead, we need to send him back to my brother-in-law and uh, have him marry one of those ladies." So that's where we're going to jump into the story. And so let's take a look. We're going to read this together. It's it's not too long. I mean, it's just a few verses here. We're going to read eight verses together. Meanwhile, Jacob left Beersheba and traveled to Haran. At sundown, he arrived at a good place to set up camp and stopped there for the night. Jacob found a stone to rest his head against and lay down to sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached 
from the earth to heaven, and he saw the angels of God going up and down the stairway. At the top of the stairway stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham, the God of your father Isaac. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. I am giving it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will be as numerous as the dust of the earth, and they will spread out in all directions to the west and to the east, to the north and the south, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. What's more, I am with you, and I will protect you wherever you go. One day I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Then Jacob woke up from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, What an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. The very gateway to heaven. The next morning, Jacob got up very early. He took the stone he had rested his head against and he set it upright as a memorial pillar. Then he poured olive oil over it and he named the place Bethel, which means house of God, although it was previously called Luz. There's a few things I want to point out here that that will relate to everything that we have heard already tonight. The first thing I want you to see is that God initiates the relationship with Jacob. God does this. It seems as if there was no personal relationship up until this point. Even though his, his grandfather and his father had had promises and encounters with God, there's no record that Jacob had had an encounter with God. I want you to see something. He was not looking for God. He didn't stop in this place because it was holy or even beautiful. He stopped there because it looked like a good place to, to sleep. That's it. But God sought him out. God does this. This is the God we serve. In every other religion, it's, it's a story of how man has to claw his way to God. In Christianity, God comes to man and initiates the relationship. God does that. He comes to us. There was no church. There was no religion. There was no Judaism. There was none of that. There was nothing for him to build on. I, <clears throat> this is my personal opinion, but I really feel like it's difficult for us as t- at times as 21st century Christians to really fully grasp what was happening in Jacob's life because you cannot, you cannot forget all that you know. You have lived so much life and so much history. Some of you, surely, has been to Israel. You've been to where this all happened. You have experiences like this that you can't take out of your mind. This man had none of that. There was no Bible. There was nothing like that for him to fall back on and trust God for. We have such an advantage over them. That's my point. We have so much that we take for granted and don't even appreciate. They had none of that. But God reached out to him. He initiated the relationship there. We stand on their shoulders of these heroes of the faith who believed in God with nothing they believed. Well, let's talk more about Jacob. Jacob, like his father and grandfather, tried to secure the blessing in his own way. He did. He wanted blessing, and he tried to make it happen for himself. At this point, still, he hadn't trusted the Lord, and he brought some worries and woes onto himself that he did not need to do, 
similar to what we do, where he tried to make it happen in his own strength. Because of that, he ended up a fugitive fleeing. But after this encounter with God, he becomes really a pilgrim and and a partner with God. But up until this point, he's not because he was trying to make it work on his own. Just want to remind us, James 1, 17 says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift that comes down from God the Father who created the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shadow. Don't ever forget these good things. We strive so hard to make it right for ourselves, but we serve a God that not only initiates the relationship with us, but has our best in mind and provides that for us, as long as we will let him. The next thing I want to emphasize with us is the fact that everybody needs an encounter with God. Let me change it just a little bit. Everybody needs their own encounter with God. Their own now, in Scripture, we, we get to see Abraham's encounter with God and Isaac's and hear Jacob's. And we don't see a lot of other people in, in the Bible having these encounters. And I've talked to so many people that say, I would follow God if, if I could see an angel. I, I know some Christians, man, it cracks me up too. And these are not silly people, but it sounds silly what I'm going to tell you they say. But I have a good friend. He says one of his life's goals is he wants to see an angel before he dies. I look at him, I'm like, Why? what he goes it's just cool it's just i want to okay i guess but here's the thing you may never see an angel but i promise you there is a god that is pursuing you and you will have an encounter with him he wants to have this not only that everybody needs this everybody needs their own encounter let me, let me put it a different way. It's not good enough for you just to piggyback your experience on somebody you know who's spiritual. Whether it's a grandma or a parent. God doesn't have grandkids. It doesn't work that way. His relationship is with you directly. Just you. There's no hand-me-downs in Christianity. It doesn't work that way. You don't wear someone else's religion on. You have to have your own faith. It needs to fit you and you need to wear it for yourself. So where does all this happen? Where are people supposed to encounter? Well, let me just mention a bunch. Church, for one thing. Seems obvious, I know. But unfortunately, I have met people who did not encounter Jesus in church. He was looking for them, but they didn't see him here because either they were distracted by church people who were hypocrites or distracted by something else that happened or they didn't like the music or the singing or whatever. They allowed themselves to be in a church and miss God. The teaching and the, the things that come over the pulpit, they should be things that help you encounter him in a new way that changes who you are. Let me, let me move on. God uses people. I bet you that almost everybody in here, when I talk about a providential person in your life, someone that God has used to deepen or further your relationship with Christ, or maybe to call you into relationship in the first place, I bet you could think of somebody. Anytime I'm asked that about my, my youth days, it wasn't a youth pastor. And we, we went through a period when I was in youth, we probably had six youth pastors in my high school years. Yeah, it wasn't good. How long were you in high school? Yeah, good question. That's funny. Carol said, well, how long were you in high school? Because that could, yeah, that's a good point. Actually, when I was in high, it was junior high was three years and high school was three. So yeah, that was not a good track record for them. But there was a youth leader, a volunteer, who really, really, really influenced me in a huge way. 
And it was the times that he spent with me and the things he said and watching him live out his Christian faith, that was huge. More than any sermon, it was a life sermon. But I bet you could think of somebody like that. God, you encounter God through people like that all the time. And you may be someone that someone is encountering God through right now. It could be, it could be something where we call what we might call it a chance encounter. But I prefer to think of those as divine appointments because I think God does that where you run into somebody and they, it may not even be a prophecy per se, but they may say something that you realize, wow, that's God speaking to me. God. It doesn't have to be some spooky, weird thing. I'm just talking about where God sets up encounters with, with people that he intends for you to meet that change your life. It may be a mentor. It may not even be a formal mentor relationship, but it may be somebody who speaks into your life and works and says things that change you. It could be a parent or an uncle or a friend or a coworker. But God uses those providential relationships to change us. Something else that he uses is time with him. I know that spending time with God can be difficult for us human beings because we're so oriented toward moving. We have such short attention spans. You know, and if it's moving and has colors and people and puppies, then yeah, we're good. But if it actually takes some work and some focus and in, in, intentional focus, that can be difficult. I'm so inspired, John, by the stuff you put on Facebook. And you know, a lot of it's leadership things, and for him, it's, you know, it's motivation for, for working out. And, I mean, but, but every one of those things could be applied directly to your spiritual life. And if you really want to achieve things, it's going to take work. It is going to take some work. And if you're going to grow in Christ different than the rest of everybody else, then you've got to do things different than the rest of everybody else. And it means that you schedule it in. I remember the first time I wrote on a schedule that I was going to actually have an appointment and meet with God, I felt so ridiculous because I thought, why do I have to do this? And then the voice in my own head said, because you can't seem to get it done any other way. And if the other way is not working, try something that might work. And it works. And I bring other people into accountability. And I'm just going to throw this in, but it's going to be part of a different sermon another time. But I... I recently uh, said something like, um, oh, I wasn't going to, I told myself I wasn't going to do that. And, and one of the pastors with me said, well, that was your first mistake because you can't hold yourself accountable. And I thought, wait a minute, I want to be able to hold myself accountable. He goes, but that's the thing. If you would have mentioned that to other people, then that would have been true accountability. Oh, I was so, <laughs> I felt like I wish I hadn't have said that out loud, but I did. Here's the thing. Your time with God will pay off in a huge way. Any time you spend there is time well spent. Your return on investment will always be bigger than what you put in, eventually. <laughs> let, me, let me mention something that you may not have thought of as an encounter with God, but I was, this was reaffirmed to me recently, and that is um, when, you yourself, when you yourself are involved in... Uh, you know, I skipped one on my notes. Let me just say it to you. When you yourself are doing ministry, when you are doing ministry, any type of volunteer ministry. Now, follow me along with this for just for a moment. I have seen times where we have asked people to volunteer in a certain way and they say, I don't think I can do this. 
and you watch God work through them. And when somebody sees God work through them, it, it's, it's weird to see the lights come on because they're validated in who they are. They felt like all of a sudden they were worthy to be used by God. They saw that something they did blessed someone in a way beyond what they thought they could do or whatever, whoever, whatever they were giving out of themselves because that's what God does. He does not use the qualified. He uses the willing. If you look at the New Testament, all the mighty things done in there, there's really only one qualified person in the whole group. Paul. He was the only one educated. He was the only one who had gone to school and done ministry type stuff. He was a Pharisee. The rest of them had no training for that. And God used them. That's what he does. When Jesus came, he didn't come as a senator and he didn't come as a, he didn't come as a rich man. He didn't come as a Greek God. He came as a lowly baby born in an obscure town to a nobody girl. That's what he does. And that's how he works. And when someone sees ministry done through them, knowing that it's not them, but it's God working through them, that's a God encounter that will change your life forever and ever and ever. When you see that God really did make a unique contribution in you that only you can contribute, that's an amazing change. And the thing that I was referring to a second ago that that I was reminded of is uh, when the youth ministry came back from their Denver missions trip, they were working with children in an inner city neighborhood, but one of the things they did was serve the homeless there. And I don't know if you remember, one of the high school girls shared up here that that experience, she thinks that's what she's going to do for the rest of her life. She was called to that ministry doing that ministry. Do you see how that happens? It was a God encounter that now is focusing the direction of her life. I sat right over here and said, did, did I hear what she, I thought I heard? Did, did I hear her correctly? That's a big, big commitment. That's a big calling. And you know what? It's, it's maybe one of the least glamorous callings there is. I've, I mean, I've, if someone's called to Tahiti or you know, Hawaii or whatever, that's not quite as impressive to me. I mean, they need Jesus, don't get me wrong, but when you see a high school kid say, I feel like I'm called to serve the homeless because they served the homeless. That blows me away. So let's get to the next point. Pivotal, pivotal circumstances. That's just another way to say stuff happening in your life that shakes up your world. God speaks to us in those times. He speaks to us in those times, right or wrong, because a lot of times we're listening. When you're knocked on your back and all you can see is up, you sometimes stop and look up. When you're at the end of your rope, you're willing to call for help, right? When you don't know what else to do, you're ready to ask someone, what do I do? And God speaks. That can be an encounter with God that that you may not see coming because you didn't plan to be in that position. Let me say it another way, getting back to the story of Jacob. I don't know that God, he would have been really ready to hear from God if he was still living in the comfort of home. You realize his dad was rich and he lived very comfortable and he lived really within his mom's apron and she kind of protected him and told him how to cheat the system over and over and over. Not sure that he would have been ready to hear from God the way he heard had he not been out on the road running. Not sure about that. 
I'm not saying that's where we any of us want to be. But a lot of times we need to be in a position of not in comfort to hear what God wants to say from us, to us. Sometimes that looks like tragedy. Sometimes it looks like crisis. And on the other hand, sometimes it can look like blessing out of the sky and you didn't see it coming. Um, there's a couple in our church that are struggling financially a little bit and they've just had some life circumstances one right after the another fall on them. And... Um, the wife private messaged me and say, I'm going to try whatever I can do to get the money to see if he could go to men's retreat. And the next day, somebody, I don't know how they would know, what they're not connected, said, I'd like to send this person to men's retreat. And I messaged her back that next day, and she said, what? I said, I, God does that, all right? Amen. He does that. Amen. He does that. Have any of you had this happen where you're in a situation and then you don't know what's going to happen and you're praying for a solution this way which could work but it's not working that way and then all of a sudden he puts circumstances together you just didn't see it coming. How many have had that happen? And you watched God work. That's what he does. He speaks to us and those are God encounters that unfortunately a lot of times we don't even recognize and give him credit for. Here's something I want to encourage you about God is always speaking, always. He's always speaking, always. The problem's not him, it's us. We're not always ready to listen. Getting back to Jacob, I, I'm sure he wasn't listening when he was at home. He wouldn't have been doing the stupid stuff he was doing. But he wasn't ready to hear from God. But God was pursuing him just like God pursues you. And a lot of times we just have to get in a place where we can hear him. He speaks in so many ways, it was a Wednesday night, and I, I was talking about God speaking, and after the service, a, um, a man, not a young man, I mean, a man came up, newer Christian, and he just said, look, I, I, this may sound like a silly question, I just got to know what you mean. When you said he speaks, is, do you hear like a voice? What do you mean? And I just told him, I've never heard a voice, but there's been some times where I clearly knew, like that time at school that day, I knew what, I heard him, but not a voice. I just knew what he was saying. Sometimes it's more of an, imp an impression. But I know it's, this is what I should do. I know there's clarity. There's times when, when we first came to Crown Point, um, Pastor Newby had called, and I had been mentoring, meeting with him anyway, and he called and told me about this position and what he wanted to do, and I told him no. And we really felt like it wasn't time. And then Nicole and I, well, I, I didn't know, but I was having trouble sleeping, I kept waking up thinking about it, keep waking up feeling like, is this the right thing? So two weeks, you know, I finally said something to her, and, or maybe not two weeks, whatever, it was two weeks or something, I said something to her, and she said, wow, me too. That's God speaking. And we didn't even know if he had given up on us or was mad at us over that or would take my call. I mean, I really, I remember I talked to you about that. I don't even know if I, should, I feel stupid calling him, but I need to call him and just say, I think I was wrong. And... Uh, and then that Sunday at church, you remember this? When a lady spoke in tongues at Sheffield. And if I could be really honest, it's not, it wasn't, it, anyway, it was one of those things where it, said, it basically said, why aren't you listening, or why aren't you walking through this door I've prepared for you? And, and um, it's, it makes total sense. I don't remember exactly what it was. All I know is I thought, oh, wow, that's God speaking. 
He does that. Sometimes it could be someone else. It's confirmation. You might hear this. God speaks through nature. I mean, James talks about that. It, or Romans, pardon me, Romans 1, but he does. So let, let's get back to this story. <laughs> oh, I love this. God is here. I remember still the first time I read that verse and um, Jacob sees this vision, dream, whatever, waking vision, whatever it is, stairway to heaven, angels up and down, and God speaks to him. And then the Bible says he wakes up and he says, do you remember what he says? God was here and I didn't even know it. Remember that? God was here and I didn't even know it. I, I, I mean, we can understand what he's saying because he just thought it was someplace to spend the night and then he thinks, he thinks God is right there. In his mind, I mean, he doesn't have all the theological knowledge you guys have. You could probably write books that would wow him. He didn't know. He thought God was right there, and that was the portal to heaven. Do you see? So he took that stone and made it an altar because he wanted to come back there just in case God wanted to talk again. Do you see the misunderstanding, and do you see why it was easy for him to make that? And he called it, what? Bethel. El in their language meant God, Beth, house, Bethel, because that's where God's house was. That's why a lot of churches call themselves Bethel whatever, because they thought God was right there. And we build monuments a lot of times, even in our own experiences, mistakenly like Jacob, in a sense, did, because we have an experience with God and we think that's the only place he's going to speak or that he's, he's there. Sadly, he's not stuck there. We get stuck there because he's here. And wherever your here is, that's where he is. He's always there and he's always speaking and he's always available to you. You don't have to, I mean, it's great to go back to those places and have, have a moment and remember, and maybe you do have another experience with him similar to what you had before, but don't make the mistake that Jacob made, and, and, and <laughs> we joke around about Peter, you know, remember he saw the transfiguration, and Jesus is glowing, and Moses and Elijah are there, and they're, they're talking, and, and Peter and James and John are there, and they see it, and then afterward, Peter's like, oh, let's build, mon let's build little houses, and commemor I mean, it's not just there, he's here. And he's here and here and here and there. And, I mean, he's here. He's not a place. He's with you. You could just as easily say the same thing Jacob did in your bathroom or um, the tree stand, or right? He's here, and you didn't even know it. The thing about it is, everywhere you are is holy ground because he's here. He's here. He's with you in a way that Jacob could never even conceptualize. Because in their, in their world, their little gods were local and stayed in places and they had to go visit them on a hill or in a, in a grove or, or in wherever, a temple. They don't get it. God was trying to communicate and bring them along and they weren't getting it. You get it. So don't go back to there and make the mistake to think it's only there. I love that we can come pray at a place, but I don't want you to ever think that's the only place. He's here with you now. He's here with you now, and he's always with you. I'm going to ask you a question, which may be difficult to hear in a way, 
but um, if you had absolute confidence that God was with you, absolute confidence he was with you, imagine how differently you'd respond to difficulties. Because we forget, don't we? Or we doubt. We don't even voice the doubt. It's just there. And we forget, and we, we get frustrated, and we, we worry, and we forget. He's right here. He's always with you. What would temptations look like if you were absolutely confident that he was walking with you at every moment? Every moment. Dave, could you turn some music on for me? Let me ask you this a different way. Kind of comical. I was thinking of my mom, and she's probably going to listen to this and hear this. And, but she used to say this to me occasionally. Uh, we would be planning to do something, and she'd say, could Jesus go there with you? Because <laughs> he is. He is. He always is. But, but turn that into a positive thing, and imagine what it would look like to have perfect faith and to know that his presence was always with you. Let me add one more thing, one more bullet point. Sometimes you have to step out in faith to hear from God. Can we look again at, at what God told Jacob? And again, God found him and spoke these words over him. And I want you to hear this today because God speaks this over every one of you every day. Look at what he says. I am with you. I am with you. It's companionship. And obviously Jacob misunderstood. He didn't say, I'm here standing on this spot. Come back and see me sometime. He said, I am with you. It's companionship. He said, I will watch over you wherever you go. You can't go anywhere and not be with him. It's safety. It's companionship that goes with you all the time. I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to guide you through wherever you go. I'm going to bring you back here. And he says, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God gives you a personal guarantee. A personal guarantee. I want you to shut your eyes for a second. <laughs> Wherever you've heard from God before, I hope you feel a bit encouraged to know that you can hear from Him now. It may not be the same. Don't, don't get too hung up on that. I know there's times where we have a moment with God and we want to duplicate that over and over because it was great, but it's not always going to be the same. Maybe better. Let me ask you another question, which may sound like a contradiction, but I want to ask you anyway. Where is it that you hear more clearly from him? Sometimes you might need to go there. Not for him, just for you. That's okay. As pastors, we meet every Wednesday morning and pray uh, for the church, for you, for different things. And uh, usually we meet right here, right here where I'm standing. But... Um, this morning we met up in the youth room and next week we're going to meet in the kids church area and I don't think that God moves around we're just doing that for our focus not his it's all about our focus you could hear from him tonight in a way you never have before you even go to sleep maybe even on your pillow I don't know or maybe someplace new here's my challenge to you tonight though and my encouragement and my hope for you is that you continue to hear from him over and over and over because he pursues you and he will not stop.
Let me pray for you, and then I just want to invite you to pray, whether it's in your seat or walking around or up here at these steps, the altar, whatever you want, I just want you to meet with him for a few minutes and be open to the fact that he will encounter you over and over and over. Father, I am so humbled by the idea that you would, would pursue us for a relationship. And God, I want, I want each one of us to continue to have...